Hey guys, welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. Today, Paulie and I are joined by an old friend of mine, Andrew Nerlich. Andrew is a lifelong martial artist. He's a second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a red belt or red sash in Wing Chun, which is the highest grade that you can get in that system. He's 66 years old, he still trains regularly and he shows no signs of slowing down. In the chat, he takes us through his martial arts journey, which started back in the 70s. He's a very down to earth, humble guy and he considers himself to be a lifelong student. In the chat, we talk about the practices he uses that have helped him along the way, and he offers up some of his best advice for those who are earlier along in the martial arts journey. Now, the first hour or so of this chat is his story from starting martial arts uh, up until present day. It's at about that point that we get into the more BJJ-centric part of the conversation. So if you are here for the BJJ side of it, feel free to skip ahead to that. I hope you enjoy this one. I found it incredibly inspiring to chat with him. It was a real honor to have him on the show. Like always, Paulie and I were drinking the coffee from Pandavore Cafe, which is our show sponsor. They're down in Pagewood. Make sure you get out there, support them through the lockdown. And we are recording from the gym, our gym, Jungle Brothers Strength and Movement today down in Botany. So if you need any help with your training, the gym is obviously closed, but the gym is running multiple online classes a day and all of the PTs are still working one-to-one. So if you want help, get in touch, junglebrothers.com. Onto the show. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Hey guys, welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's me, Joey, and Paulie. How are you? How are you, brother? Team. We've got uh, a, an old friend of mine, Andrew Nerlich, joining us today, coming in over Zoom because that is the nature of podcasts at the moment. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Mate, um, I, I thought I'd start with a little intro of how I know you, and, uh, and I don't know you particularly well, but we've been sort of connected over many years through the jiu-jitsu community. Where, sure. where I see you most is actually on Facebook, and you are, uh, as I see it, you lay down the law for people on this Australian BJJ forum. It's often a lot of young people posting on there. Some questions are reasonably intelligent, some are not so much so, and you're the guy that fires back a quick response that's always extremely thoughtful and wise. Um, that is where I see you on a sort of, you know, on a consistent basis, but where we actually met, our paths crossed, I believe it was at the, um, the Steve Maxwell seminar some years ago at Higher Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I think that's right, yeah. And that was uh, Steve Maxwell, for those who don't know, is, a, is, is quite a famous jiu-jitsu practitioner, a long-time black belt, an American guy. Um, what would he be now, in his late 60s, 70s? Uh, I think he's 68. He's okay. a couple of years older than me. Right on. So he is, you know, he's, he's very much advanced in age, especially in the sport that we play. And he was running a seminar on strength and conditioning, his approach to it for jiu-jitsu and, and longevity. Um, and so I remember meeting you there and, and, and you stood out to me because that was a group of, it was a group of mostly men. I think there was maybe one, uh, woman in the room. It was probably about 40 men, um, mostly of an age, somewhere around thirties, early forties. And then there was you and you, you, you have, you're obviously outside of that age bracket. You're somewhat older. And that, that kind of blew me away, to be honest. Um, and then I think uh, some years later, I would meet you again at the same gym when we attended the Pedro Sauer seminar, which was also at High Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we had a bit more of a chat then and I got to know you a bit more. And yeah, so, you know, it's, it's been uh, passed across a couple of times. I see you quite frequently. 
quite honored to have you on the show because I know that you are a, a, a long-time martial arts practitioner and, and I think uh, for Paulie and I being sort of, well, I guess you could say we're midway through the martial arts journey, it's quite impressive to see someone that's been following the path for, for as long as you have. So thank you for joining us. Okay, well, that's uh, quite the introduction. Thank you. Um, very flattering. Um, you obviously don't know me that well. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much right. Um, this meeting is being recorded. I hadn't hit record on Zoom and I just pressed it then. Okay. But the audio was already on, so we're good. Right, yeah, I'll just fix myself up here, yep. Um Okay, yeah, we met at Higher Jiu-Jitsu um, with John Smalios. Um, I sort of, when I retired, I was looking for daytime classes because I'd been doing sort of, um, you know, three nights a week and a day on the weekend for about 30 years. And my wife was getting a bit jack of that and said, look, can't you train during the day or something? And I said, well, well yeah, I'll, I'll have a look. And so his was sort of one of the places I went to. I actually went there for, I think, the first Steve Maxwell seminar that John hosted. And he actually wasn't there because he was watching American football playoffs that day. But I got to know John and um, – <laughs> I sort of liked what he was trying to do. And so I went back there for a while. And, of course, I met Steve and, you know, did his seminars. And, uh, yeah, that really um, gave me a lot to think about and pursue. And, uh, unfortunately, he sort of had to close down for a while. And I sort of got another gig somewhere else teaching fairly informally. And uh, I've only seen him infrequently since then, but hopefully, uh, you know, he still remembers me well. I certainly remember him well. And do you want me to sort of go way back to the Pleistocene era or what do you want me to do? Yeah, I do. I want you to take us back to the very start. Okay. Um, well, um, probably the first 20 years or so aren't of out of much interest to your listeners. I mean, I had a fairly normal sort of upbringing in Sydney, uh, Lower North Shore. Um, I was, I'd sort of, you know, I went to North Sydney Boys High School, Sydney Uni. Um, was pretty directionless after I finished uni. Uh, didn't really have any plans. And... Um, yeah, I've sort of got to the stage where if I didn't do something, uh, I sort of hadn't done anything for about a year since I left uni other than sort of bum around and surf and stuff like that. And I got offered a job in the public service in Canberra. Um, and so I went there, which was, you know, a bit of a culture shock. Uh, in those days, it was really quiet. Um, on the weekends, nobody in the city you could, like, fire a cannon down the main street and not hit anything. Um, what year are we – well, when about uh, – this, this would have been 1977. Okay. When were you born? Uh, 54. Right on. What, where does that place you now, just for – I'm 66 years old. Right on. Okay. Uh, so, 
So um, cut to the chase, a guy that uh, worked in the same building as me was a Kung Fu instructor. His name was David Crook. Um, and one of the sort of more um, gregarious members of the staff in my office sort of um, convinced him that he should come and teach some of us Kung Fu. Um, and there was like about eight of us at the start. And after a couple of weeks, there was really only me and another guy that were doing the classes with him. But, um, you know, I'd sort of regarded myself pretty much as uh, a wimp. Um, but I found that, um, you know, I could take the training and David was a little bit physical. You know, he sort of liked to, what he called toughen you up and occasionally when he was demonstrating a technique, he'd like sink one in in the solar plexus or something like that. And I sort of, you know, took a few of those and thought, well, you know, my head didn't explode. You know, I didn't fall on the ground in a heap crying. Um, I think I can do this. And, um, you know, in, in a place where I didn't really have anything to do but work, this gave me a sort of other, other interest and another direction to pursue. And, you know, it seemed to be a very healthy sort of direction, uh, very interesting. And um, so I did the best I could at going down that path. Um, cool. David was – sorry, you were going to say? Oh, no, I, will, I was going to ask um, just about um, – 70s, like I'm, I'm, how old am I? 37. 30, 37. 30. I had to ask. I'm starting to forget about that. But I, I am, I was born in the 80s and I'm, I've always, I'm curious of like the uh, martial arts and how conscious it was in Australia at that time. Um, you know, I grew up watching Bruce Lee movies and I've, I've often looked at, um, you know, some documentaries on, on Bruce Lee and how he came up through. Um, you know, Western culture in America with a lot of trouble and obviously he made it and became a big star and I think, as far as I understand it, he, he influenced a lot of martial arts that was to come after him. He, was his movies around in the 70s? Is that... Am I getting my um, timeline yeah, right? Yeah, 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 they, they certainly were. And um, were, you, he, were you watching them at that time? In, yeah, I mean, I've seen all his movies. Uh-huh. Um, he died in 73, I think. Okay. So, and, you know, he was world famous before then. Um, I actually got interested in martial arts because I watched a movie called Five Fingers of Death, oh, yeah. which was like a, you know, a Hong Kong cinema sort of thing, um, dubbed. Um, it's not bad. You can still sort of find it out there. Um yeah, but um, so you had had some yeah, exposure to it, that before you started yeah, with your friends. There was there was stuff around before that. Um, David started martial arts in '63, so yeah, he was doing it well before Bruce became famous. Um, what can I say? Yeah, uh, yeah, was martial it- arts was sort of really just becoming noticeable to the mainstream then. Uh, before that, it was uh, 
yeah, you had to you had to have sorted out. It wasn't sort of in your face like it was when kung fu movies started becoming popular, which was undoubtedly due to Bruce Lee. Um, just um, I'll, I'll go back to talking about David Crook. If anything else comes to mind um, with regard to sort of you know back in the dark ages sort of thing, mm-hmm, yeah, I'll uh, I'll come back to it. Um, David was sort of very generous with me. Um, he wasn't actually running formal classes at the time I met him. So a lot of my training was just him and me or him and me and maybe one or two other guys out in the park across the road from our office. And um, so, yeah, I basically got um, two private lessons a week. And he used to charge like a dollar a session at the start, but once he saw I was serious, he said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm enjoying this, so uh, don't bother paying me anymore sort of thing. And then we started going to one of his more senior students' houses like once a, once a week as well. And, um, you know, we'd sort of like train for an hour um, and then we'd sort of sit around um, having a beer and sort of talking about Kung Fu, which was mainly David telling us stories. Um, the deal was that he'd come and he'd teach Kung Fu. The other guy would provide the venue and I'd sort of bring a couple of bottles of beer along. <laughs> so everybody got something out of it. But, you know, he, he taught me a great deal in a pretty short time. I was only there for 18 months, so I sort of got Jack of Canberra. You know, it's like, to me at least, it was like the gulag at the time. <laughs> I just wanted to get out and go back to Sydney sort of thing. Um, made a fair bit of money there. Um, but, yeah, in 18 months, I'd sort of learned a great deal. I'd learned all of his sort of forms, if you like, up to instructor level. And... Um, yeah, he gave me some contacts back in Sydney, which none of which sort of worked out immediately, unfortunately. But, yeah, that's sort of another part of the story. Um, I've kept in touch with him for um, all that time. I still sort of write to him occasionally. Um, I've been down to Canberra a few times. So I've always dropped in to see him. Um, he was um, unbelievably generous to me. Um, and, you know, obviously made me hungry to pursue this as I have for as long as I have. Um, what, what style of what martial it, arts was he what, – what, it was Kung uh, Fu? His style was called Black Fu Do Kung Fu, which means White Tiger Kung Fu. It's a synthesis of three sort of more common and popular styles – You'll undoubtedly have heard of Wing Chun, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, very popular in Hong Kong. Um, at that time, you know, China China's borders weren't open at all. Um, so anyone that you saw doing Kung Fu was either from Hong Kong or Taiwan. Mm. Um, the other two styles were Choi Li Fat, which is like a circular style of circular movements with a lot of big swinging punches. And um, 
northern Silam or northern Shaolin, which is like uh, acrobatic sort of long-range kicking style. So he had sort of like the short-range Wing Chun, um, the sort of circular um, multi-opponent as far as that goes, and sort of circular style of Choi Foot and a long-range style of northern Shaolin, which meant, you know, you had a a wide range of techniques and, um, you know, you didn't have to fight everybody the same way. Um, you know, you met another Wing Chun guy, you switch to something else and either kick him to death out of range or, you know, get around all these straight punches with circular cholo foot punches and stuff like that. And conversely, the other way. So it was a pretty good style. Um, I'd always pictured... Kung Fu guys is like um, Adonis is with, uh, you know, that were like the Buddha sort of thing. And David was neither of those things. He was sort of a, a short little guy with, um, you know, strong British accent and, um, you know, no sort of pretensions, very practical and down to earth. And, um I think a lot of that's rubbed off on me. I've tried not to go down too many sort of weird paths and blind alleys in my training. And, yeah, the pragmatism is what sort of brought me towards jiu-jitsu eventually. With, um, with that style of training, I when you're talking about long-range kicking and, and acrobatic stuff, I'm imagining that he would have had to have been quite well physically conditioned. Was that... Uh, you, from what you say, and I, I was reading your blog post about it, um, so I'm familiar with this this part of the story. But you were saying that yeah, he didn't he didn't look like a superhero. He was just just a guy. Um, yeah. But once he got moving, was there you know did he have um, some incredible sort of physical capacity? Um, he could hit really hard, um, and he had just beautiful technique. You know he's. Watching him do forms and stuff was, you know, it would blow you away. He was just, his technique was just so spot on. Um, he, he said himself, he, he wasn't particularly strong, but he sort of developed explosive power to a fine art. You know, he'd do demos like he'd put three telephone books, if you can remember what they are, Yeah, uh, sort of. Yeah, you know, one in front of the other, and he'd sort of do an inch punch through that, and you know, knock the guy not out the window or through a wall or anything. But you know, he'd certainly let you know you've been hit pretty hard. Wow. Yeah. And so, where did it go from uh, from your time with him? You were training with him for eighteen months. You ended up back in Sydney, but you're saying that yep. the, 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 trying to continue it, trying to find a new coach, didn't really work out at the time. Yeah, I. Um, I sort of went to a few places, but like some of the places they'd closed down for a while or, you know, they'd sort of moved out to the outer suburbs. Um, I I sort of went to a place um, with a guy that uh, I don't mention by name anymore because I've got too many sort of um, – unflattering but very interesting stories about him <laughs> and uh yeah i don't i don't 
really think he, he did, it, you know, I, I don't want to tell all the stories about him without him having a right to reply sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but, you can tell us some stories uh, I though, went right? to, beg your pardon? You'll tell us some stories though, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, well, don't feel obliged. That isn't a problem. Um, <laughs> anyway, I went to this guy's place who I call Rex King. I probably went there for about six months, but I thought, well, this is okay, but I'm, I'm not that sort of stoked with it sort of thing. Um, I knew another guy that used to train with David Crook uh, called Michael Quinn. And, um, you know, he was in sort of in the same boat of me. He, he'd been training a bit longer than me. Uh, yeah, he was, he was pretty good. I thought he was certainly better than I was, but yeah, you know, we both wanted to find a good instructor. And um, David learned his Wing Chun from a guy called William Chung, who's reasonably famous, certainly in kung fu circles. But he's been in Australian martial arts since the '60s, and most of the old timers would know who he was. Um, we found a guy that sort of trained with him, but he was teaching out of a squat in Darlinghurst. <laughs> like there are all these um, people living in a squat and somehow they'd sort of cottoned onto this guy and got him to come around a couple of times a week. He was, he was probably in his late 40s, early 50s. And, um, yeah, we, we went there and he taught us a few things, but I, I – I didn't think he was that that much chop myself, but he was better than you know, better than a lot of people that I'd seen. Yeah, you don't have you don't have the breadth of sort of people around around that you have now that you used to have back then, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the squat was sort of too weird. Like yeah, you'd see junkies walking up and down the street outside. Um, they had a sort of punching bag set up in the middle of the living room, which sort of gives you some idea of sort of what sort of house and home it was for the people that live there. Um, one day we're out the back training and um, this guy runs in and, you know, he's obviously off his face on um, PCP or meth or something and he starts just snarling and wailing away at the um, punching bag in the middle of the room. And we all sort of go in there and, you know, eventually, um, you know, a couple of guys sort of calmed him down and got him out the door sort of thing. But, you know, you'd have that and then uh, you'd be training and there'd be all these people coming in to take a shower under a tap, stuff like this, you know, both sexes. And, you know, that obviously got a bit distracting. Um, <laughs> and we sort, of, we sort of decided after a while that, no, nah, this is too weird. We're not going to not going to continue with this. Um, yeah, it didn't really seem to be going anywhere. And so I went back to this first place with Rex King. Um, he was, you know, I, I said that David was not the sort of um, what people imagine a kung fu master to be. Um, this guy was or at least pretended or tried to be what you expect a Kung Fu master to be. He had, uh, he was very strong, 
really short guy, but really stocky. Um, he was very, you know, he could break bricks and do all this sort of stuff. I think he did karate before he took up the kung fu that he did, which was uh, what they call the um, internal martial arts, if you like, which are Jing Yi, Bagua and Tai Chi. Most people have heard of Tai Chi, maybe less to the others. But, uh, you know, those days it was like, you know, this is the super-duper extra special source sort of stuff. If you know this stuff, you're going to be invincible and, you know, you can disappear, you can <laughs> uh, see in the dark, all this sort of stuff. Death touch? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Tell me, um, tell me just on the, um, you know, so you come across these different instructors. Yep. Now, for anyone that trains martial arts now, um, there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of entertainment taken from this era of martial arts, which is probably more around 80s, 90s, where you have all these uh, you know phony practitioners who put on a funny outfit and open a school and get students. And now that we have the internet, we can you know these people can be exposed and whatnot. But it makes you realise yeah. that there was you know there was obviously this period of um, period of great sort of bullshit. In, in terms of that sort of world because it was it was harder to verify people's skills and because a lot of, I guess, a lot of martial arts skills, particularly from the Kung Fu realm, are not necessarily practiced in full capacity, right? Like it's a lot of it is, well, I don't want to say the wrong well, thing, but it's somewhat theoretical, could you say? Well, yeah, I mean, in those days, um, yeah, martial arts media was like maybe few American magazines um, and one Australian magazine. Was that Blitz? Uh, no, this was before Blitz. Okay. This was Australian Fighting Arts. Um, Blitz was started by John Will, um, and he has a story about that. Um, he specifically started Blitz because um, Australian Fighting Arts wouldn't publish one of his articles. And oh, wow. he basically put Australian Fighting Arts out of business by starting Blitz. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got stories about this um, everywhere. So it's not like I'm telling tales out of school. But that sort of was all you had. You just had magazines. And, you know, you get, you'd wait all month and you get this magazine and you'd read it from beginning to end, including all the ads. And that was sort of all the information you could get about anything in those days. Um, the other thing with martial arts back then, you know, there are two things that sort of made the difference, I think. One is the internet and the other was the UFC. And back before the UFC, um, you know, you didn't fight, you didn't compete using martial arts because it was too deadly. And that isn't quite true, but largely it was. You know, a lot of, lot of guys would say, oh, no, we don't. We don't believe in competition. We only fight for our lives when we have to, um, all this sort of stuff. You know, our techniques are too deadly. If we go in a competition, we'll kill somebody sort of thing. And, yeah, so there was that sort of going on. So you never really got that many chances to test your skills. There were um, tournaments and stuff like that. Um, I was never a huge competitor, but um, – yeah, they 
compared to today, they were very amateur, um, which is not to put anybody down. It's just a sign of the times. Yeah. Um, how did you? How could you verify if if someone was any good in terms of? you coming across David Crook in the workplace and then him taking you to the park and doing a few things. How did you know, well, this guy's legit versus someone that maybe that you talked about who, who looked the part, but didn't quite deliver. Yeah. Well, he had a, um, yeah, he did do tournament karate before he took up Kung Fu. Um, He was sort of, yeah, he was very well known within the community. It was sort of a, senior martial artist. Um, I, you know, I didn't know, didn't know him from a bar of soap or any other martial artist from a bar of soap, but yeah, he obviously could hit hard. He could sort of run rings around unskilled people like myself. And um, yeah, he definitely seemed to know what he was talking about. Right. Um, and, yeah, he was pretty unpretentious with all of that. So there was no reason not to take what he said at face value. Um, you did get, I mean, you know, you did get a lot of people that sort of talked about all sorts of weird stuff and, you know, put on all sorts of pretensions and sort of dressed weirdly and, you know, all this sort of stuff. You know, you like this... Um, white guy from Sydney and you're wearing like Chinese jackets and, you know, Fu Manchu moustaches and all this sort of stuff. You know, it's, yeah. Um, Has a bit of a Steven Seagal vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, I, you know, there's there's a few sort of people like that that you could, that come to mind. But um, this Rex King, he was very much in that sort of mould. Um, he was also uh, an acupuncturist trained in Hong Kong. He, he, I don't want to denigrate his skills because he definitely had those. His acupuncture was legit. He was also a chiropractor and he sort of helped me with that. But, um, yeah, the sort of vibe of the class was you'd have one of his senior students sort of warm everybody up and did a lot of calisthenics and stuff and then, Eventually, we'd all sort of line up and Rex had sort of, you know, hands clasped behind his back and sort of looking around, he'd sort of walk in and stand out the front and eventually he'd bow to us all and we'd sort of bow back and it was, you know, very much sort of that sort of vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was all sort of very serious. Um Compared to what the stuff that David was showing me, it was sort of pretty basic. Um, it's probably in the five years I spent there, I I probably learned about twenty percent of the amount of material that I learned from David, uh, if that. And um, yeah, I, I don't really think it made me any sort of better prepared to fight anybody, to be honest, because it was involved with all this other stuff like sort of, you know, Chinese health practices and the, the Yi Ching and, um, uh, yes, you know, it was sort of new agey sort of stuff, um, which, 
you know, that was, you know, getting back to the 70s, you know, a lot of weird stuff happened in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> um, and a lot of, you know, some of it was good, but a lot of it was just ultra strange, weird, rubbish sort of thing. You're talking and, in the in the martial arts world specifically? Uh, generally, just yep. politics. Oh, um, right. okay. You know, even fashion and stuff like that. You know, you look back these days and you just sort of cringe some of your old photos and that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where, yeah, where yeah. did it go after that? Your, your sort of... Okay. Yeah, where did your training take you from that point? Okay, let me, let me tell you a couple of stories. Um, you know, the, the, um, the vibe was very serious. You know, we had a grading one night and, um, you know, we're all, we go through the whole class and, you know, get exhausted and, you know, put through the ringer sort of thing. And then we stand there and wait for Rex to come in and give us our sashes. Um, you know, this was ultra serious sort of stuff, but sort of, while he's starting to hand out some of the more junior sashes, this sort of guy comes in, um, he'd been a student there. He's got like his training bag with him, sits down in one of the chairs, puts his bag down. He's there to get his sash, right? Puts his bag down, pulls out a copy of rugby league week and starts sort of going through it. And everyone's sort of looking at him and sort of like, what the hell is this? Um, and, you know, we're all sort of giggling and laughing and um, this guy's just oblivious to it all. And, um, you know, Rex was sort of in on it too sort of thing and he was sort of, you know, rolling his eyes. And eventually it was this guy's turn to get his sash and his name was Les. And, uh, you know, Rex says, Les. And Les is engrossed in his rugby league week. And um, Les, he looks up, oh, you know, goes out in his street clothes, gets his sash, bow, walks off, throws the sash and rugby league week in the bag and sort of walks out. And everyone just dying with laughter after this. Um, oh, I've got a couple of other stories, but I've got to tell you this one. What Was he Was he an advanced student or was he just – was he a bit of a noob and a bit sort of blind? Sort of mid-level. Him? He would have been like a blue belt, something like that. You know, you, you should know the drill sort yeah. of thing. Yep. Um, but we went this, – this story, um, it's embarrassing, but I have to tell it. Um, we did this sort of health program, right, uh, or health and – you know, Chinese medicine, whatever program. And we had to eat a really restricted diet, mostly vegetables, you know, no coffee, no alcohol, um, no gluten, um, basically nothing but sort of rice and vegetables and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, I was working in the city then and, yeah, trying to buy lunch was a nightmare. And I lost, like, yeah, I didn't have a lot of weight on me to begin with, but I was like a skeleton at the end. But we also had to abstain from sex or, you know, onanism, you know, self, self-fulfillment self or whatever during that time. And that, that sort of went on for four weeks. And um, then what, what we had to do, he gave us all a little sort of brown medicine bottle and 
you can probably join the dots from there, but we had to produce a specimen of the reproductive fluid and put it in this this bottle. Um, and then, you know, we'd put the bottle in the fridge at home and with all possible haste, we'd transport it to the gym. And it was put in this old sort of fridge that looked like it was about to explode at the gym. Um, and, you know, the, the women there had to do something else, but none of them would tell us what it was. <laughs> you know, this sort of wall of suspicion and secrecy went up if you even made the most oblique sort of inquiry about it. Um, but, you know, the... We're sort of waiting for something to happen, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You know, power outage, um, the fridge defrosts, or, you know, the water gets in, all the labels of whose bottle is whose gets fall, falls off. Um, and then the um, stool moved after that and the fridge disappeared. So I've got no idea what all that was about. <laughs> the subject never got raised again. No one wanted to raise it with Rex because, um, yeah, you, it was, yeah, you were sort of accusing him of stupidity or not being on top of things and stuff like that. That is so bizarre. Yeah. And, yeah, he had like two – at the time I met him, he sort of – been divorced twice and had four kids and uh, his personal life was always like this train wreck. Yeah, there were always crises at the gym and, yeah, money kept running out and all this stuff sort of went on and probably most of it was just, you know, poor management and, you know, concentrating on the wrong things. Do you have any suspicions as to what happened to the samples? Um. I have no idea. I can conjecture, but none of my conjectures make any sense. <laughs> you know, um, you know, after after they after a power outage and the fridge defrosting, it's not going to be much use for anything, is it? I guess not. I'm not. You know, yeah. I don't know either. But I've dealt with them in that manner. Yeah. Uh, how are we going pace-wise? Are we going too slow, too fast? No, we're good. Okay. I mean, yeah, look, we've got um, – I, I don't really have an endpoint, to be honest. It's more okay. It's more on you. But um, I'd say we're around halfway, if that works for you. Okay. I, I'll, I'll jump ahead. Anyway, I, I sort of got sick of that. I could have stayed there and, like, got, got an instructor level if I'd stayed there another – six months to a year or something but I thought well this is a complete waste of time can I can and, I, um, uh, uh, yep. can I sorry to interrupt can I ask um, like what year from what year to what year were you training there I'm just trying to paint more of a picture like how, how big was the school and like how many students and stuff at the time it was a very popular kung fu school okay. it was right in the middle of, the, of Sydney near Central Station Right. Uh, where the uh, Mercure Hotel is now, I think, or close to there. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the more popular schools in Sydney. Mm. Um, not necessarily one of the best. The two aren't necessarily the same, as I'm sure you've encountered yourself. Uh, anyway, moving on, I got sick of that and gave up martial arts for several years. I had, um, you know, like... A lot of people do. I had a few sort of physical challenges at the start. 
that I had to work through, mainly to do with my lower back. Um, and Rex as a chiropractor sort of helped me with that, but, you know, it wasn't really working out that well. I found kicking was very difficult um, and, you know, quite painful, very frustrating. Um, but, you know, I gave it up for a few years, just sort of went surfing and, you know, did just went to a gym to keep fit, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, after a few years, I sort of got the bug again and I went looking around and Rick Spain had sort of moved to Sydney by then, so I started started at his school. Um, that was 88, I think. Um, Rick Spain was uh, – he was well-known at the time? Like, was that something like he was, his arrival was anticipated? Um. In in certain circles, I would say yes. Um, he'd had quite a quite a good career as a kickboxer. He had um, about a hundred amateur matches, thirty seven pro fights, retired undefeated. Um, he had to basically retire because he had a car accident that uh, messed up his ankle, and so you know. The, sort of had to recover from that and thought, well, I think I'll do something else now. And so I decided to take up teaching. He was actually working out at the gym and a couple of the guys there asked if they'd teach him what he was doing because he was kicking bags and stuff. And he, at the time at least, was a very spectacular kicker. Um, Very, very good indeed. And, you know, he's had some health issues in recent times or not so much health, but physical issues. Um, but back in the day, you know, he was he was really, really good, very spectacular. And um, so I took up Wing Chun with him. You remember I'd done some as part of David Crook's system. I thought that would suit me because the way most people practice Wing Chun, not a lot of high kicks and that are involved. And... Because of my back, I wanted to stay away from those. But, you know, I sort of get there and after the first couple of sessions, I walk into the gym and Rick's doing like a full side split and throwing kicks up into the stratosphere and, and you yeah, know, I'm getting the verb like, uh, hey, you guys got to learn all to do all this too. So, you know, that sort of – I couldn't sort of get away with, away from that. Um which worked out well because it motivated me to um, get my back fixed, um, get more flexible, learn to kick, stuff like that. I won't sort of bore you with the sort of details, but I went to like chiropractors for 15 years who could relieve my pain. But... um, yeah, nothing really changed until I went to a physiotherapist called Kingsley at North Sydney, and he basically almost completely fixed me up in three months. Wow. So, yeah, that's not going to be the same for everybody, but, yeah, that certainly worked for me. And, I, yeah, I just wish I'd have sort of explored things a bit more to deal with my 
physical problems. How old were you at this stage when you were training with Rick? Um, I started with him when I was about 35, I think. Okay. 88, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yep. Now, I, I know him, uh, I, I've heard of him, I think I heard of him originally through a friend back in the early days of the UFC when everyone was talking about Hoist Gracie or Royce, mm. Royce Gracie, as everyone yep. called him back then because no one knew how to pronounce it. But yep. he was talking about, uh, this was um, Dave. Um, Brooks Bank. No, Wilson. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah. And, um, and I think he was saying, oh, there's a, apparently there's a guy, there's Rick Spain, he's got a Wing Chun school, but he teaches grappling as well. They teach a bit of jiu-jitsu stuff. So I had heard, it was hearing about this place that it was a bit of, because I had done some Wing Chun as a kid, which was up the road from where I grew up in Gladesville, and it was not. Sure. It was, it never left an impression on me. I don't, you know, I just remember finding it, you know, respectfully, I found it boring and sort of didn't go anywhere. But he was like, oh no, apparently this guy Rick Spain's teaching this, this style of Wing Chun. It's, it's something, you know, and they do some ground fighting. And I was like, oh wow, that sounds cool. And then I think yeah. I remember hearing Rick Spain talk on the radio some years later about, he's talking about, I think it was about physical violence and street fighting. And I think, am I right in thinking that he had been a bouncer for some years? Um, yeah, he had um, brief sort of career synopsis. Um, he um, he was yeah you know, grandmaster William Chung's first student to sort of complete his grading system. Um, he as I talked about it, his kickboxing fight career before. So you know he'd um, he'd not only studied Wing Chun, but he'd studied boxing and, you know, he, he got the system of kicks that he uses from Bill Wallace's book. You know who Bill Wallace is? Name rings he was a very, very famous American kickboxer back in, you know, 70s, 80s sort of thing. He appeared in um, a couple of movies. There was one with, like, um, Chuck Norris and somebody else, and he was in there. But yeah, he was famous for kicking. Was he? Uh, was he black? No. Oh, okay, I thought no. I might have heard Frank Dukes telling the story okay. about him. But... Have you heard of Benny Urquidez? Yes, I remember him yeah. well. Benny the uh, Jet. Yeah, he was. He he appeared in a movie with Bill Wallace and some other people. I can't remember who. Joe Lewis and guys like that. Um. Anyway, what? Well, yeah. Um. Yeah, when Benny Urquidez and Bill Wallace came to town, um, Rick would be the guy that did exhibition matches with him. Him and Mick Spinks, actually, um, did ex exhibition matches with him. So, yeah, the, he, he was quite well regarded in sort of martial arts circles at that time. Um, yeah, he could do the, he could, uh, do the stuff. He... Oh, he'd worked as a, as as a bouncer at lots of places. He'd worked as like a bodyguard and stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, he he um, used to get in a lot of fights when he was a kid, um, and yeah, he'll say now that you know that was the wrong thing to do. But yeah, he he was a hot-headed um, youngster and a twenty-year-old, and he. Told us once, you know, he used to go out the street to get a 
go down the shop, get a loaf of bread, a bottle of milk and a fight sort of thing. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he, well, that's, that's sort of his background. But he, he was a very good teacher as well. Um, sort of had high expectations of his students, which is a good thing. You know, that's the sort of thing that helps you improve. You know, if somebody thinks you can improve and wants you to improve, then you're probably going to improve. Yeah. Um, at that stage, how, how yep. often are you training? Are you How many nights a week are you there? Uh, probably three nights a week. Yeah, I'm working full-time in IT at the time. Yep. Um, you know, try, trying to uh, be a half-decent husband and stuff like that as well, you know. Yeah. Um, from, from my point of view, um, career-wise, um, David, you know, he wasn't a full-time martial artist. He was a full-time public servant. And I've always followed a path where martial arts is like an avocation for me. I've thought about, like, you know, opening a school and stuff like that, but um, never thought it was the best thing for me or my, you know, my wife sort of thing. Um, I've always found working in IT, you know, much more, much more dependable and doesn't require, doesn't require the same breadth of skills or concentration and it's just easy to get a salary sort of thing. And it's not difficult to make good money. So I've, I've never tried to sort of do that myself. Take us from, um, how did you get from Rick Spain training Wing Chun to now being uh, to the jiu-jitsu world? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'd been there for 10 years training Wing Chun and I was, you know, I was an in Wing Chun instructor by then. Um, yeah, I'd started getting half-decent kicks and I was reasonably good at this style of Wing Chun. And I think I would have, yeah, I think I would have held myself, held my end up well in, you know, a fight or something like that because, um, you know, the stuff definitely worked, right? It wasn't, you know, we did a lot of sparring. It wasn't just doing, you know, chi sao and wooden dummy and forms and stuff like that. You know, it was very much hands-on. Um, it was actually Rick that got me into jiu-jitsu and my introduction to jiu-jitsu was at a seminar that John Will took at Rick Spain School. Um, have, you, have you ever met John, done a seminar with him? No, I haven't. He, he was – how much do you know about him? Not a lot, to be like, honest. He is like one of the founders of jiu-jitsu in Australia. Um, you should you should do some research on him because his life's sort of like an adventure novel. He spent lots of time in Asia. Uh, he started Blitz, you know, a story about him starting Blitz because he got pissed off with Australian fighting arts and decided to put him out of business. Um, 
you know, is that sort of a guy very much making things happen. But, you know, if I – I can't think of anybody better to have shown me jiu-jitsu the first time because he is an amazing instructor. He's probably taken, you know, somewhere between 25,000 and 30,000 jiu-jitsu classes during his career. And he's always wanted to become better as an instructor, and he has become extremely good at it. So you know, I get I get all this amazing stuff handed to me on a silver platter, as did we all. Um, and yeah, I found this was something I very much wanted to pursue. Um, I've never sort of been the guy to sort of. Yeah, you get to a certain level and you don't want to go back down and start something else again because, you know, you've put in all this work to get you to get where you are, such as that is. But, uh, no, I put on a white belt, start again. You know, have all these guys that have been training a month longer than me beat me up when I've been training martial arts for however long it was then, about 20 years, mm-hmm. you know. Loving it. It was great. And, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of where things began. Um, what was, what made you want to restart that process of being a beginner again? And I mean, cause that in a, in a sense like that, that's sort of, um, emblematic of, of, of this, you know, of, of how I see you in a way is that you've sort of defied, you know, the age you're at and the pro and even, with your martial arts journey, but even what you, I read about you in terms of software development and your career and always chasing new information at a point when other people no. would kind of sign off and think, you know what, I've done enough. No. I've done this for 15 years old or whatever, but you're like, no, no I'm going to start this whole new climb up a mountain again. Okay. Um, well, um, IT, in IT, you don't have any choice. You know, the technology sort of changes completely every every few years. Yeah, you know, if you don't you're not open to continual change, you're not gonna survive. Um I don't necessarily know that that's that's um part of my personality or not, but um yeah, you know, I just saw this new stuff and it looked incredibly interesting. Um I've yeah, I, I'm pretty sort of humble sort of person, I suppose. Um, I've never sort of wanted to um, sort of put myself up on a pedestal or anything. Uh, never want to be seen as like a master or anything like that. I'm, If anything, I'm an advanced student and I always will be. And if you're a student, you, you need to study stuff. So... Yeah, that's that was my that was my attitude towards jujitsu. Plus, you know, I liked the the different sort of attitude that jujitsu practitioners had. Yeah, the the vibe in the class is really different to a kung fu class. Um, yeah, every everybody's talking, joking. You train hard, but you sort of laugh and. Yeah, crack jokes and all that sort of stuff. There's not the sort of same level of um, sort of awe 
and um, pretentiousness is too strong a word, but that sort of that sort of thing. Yep. You know, either, either you can sweep somebody or you can't. You know, you get someone's arm around your neck, they're either going to choke you out or you're going to escape. You know, there's, there's no sort of um, – you can't sort of argue the point or, you know, act in a way where, you know, yeah, that that was good but it wouldn't wouldn't really work in an, in an actual life and death confrontation, that sort of thing. Um. Yeah, that's that's what I liked about jujitsu. I think, um, Paul, you've expressed this before, finding that sometimes that obviously the jujitsu, the vibe in jujitsu academies does differ from one gym to another. But you know, on the whole, it's as you said, Andrew, it's more more jovial, more relaxed, more Brazilian. Yeah, more Brazilian. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you've expressed like how because Paul actually has a background with uh, Choi Li Fat as well. Okay, um, but you kind of liked a little bit of that discipline that goes with the sort of more traditional martial arts, and we've spoken about how uh, sometimes it would be nice to experience a bit <coughs> of that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I, I enjoyed that, and I think uh, it's probably part of the. I I never I didn't have much experience with with it, and I probably didn't get the pointier end of the stick of the, the really hard stuff. Um, but I I have enjoyed it in the past. It's a bit of the mystique as well of the East and like what I saw in, in movies and I kind of liked lining up and, you know, the the kind of spiritual part that's connected to it. Whereas, yeah, I guess you're referring to like, yeah, sometimes uh, I find some classes are too, too relaxed and maybe I'm trying to learn something, um, but it, it's just too casual. What's your thoughts on that, Andrew? Like, obviously, obviously, you just said that you liked it, but was there no friction there for you because you had come from a background that was largely Eastern, and then now you found jujitsu, and it's like good times on the mats? Yeah, it's um, David Crook was actually pretty informal in that regard. He just sort of, you know, on the rare occasions I attended a class when he was running one. Uh, you know, he'd just say, look, you know, we, we've got to have some sort of discipline and control here. But, you know, he didn't sort of put on airs and graces or make it sort of unduly militaristic or stuff like that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I like to be there for a purpose. I like to have a goal sort of thing. Um <clears throat> I haven't been to that many jiu-jitsu classes where I don't think that's been the case. You know, where where the instructor doesn't have a sort of clear picture of what he's trying to convey to the students. I just sort of prefer the sort of vibe where I can sort of ask a question and sort of not have to wait for the right time to speak and, you know, you don't have all this sort of bowing and titles and stuff like that, which sort of, you know, it's a bit, bit sort of grating after a while. Yeah, I understand that. Bit of pompous maybe, some of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to disrespect the traditions, but, you know, they're, I'd say that some, some 
sort of people that don't come from that tradition sort of take the tradition far more seriously than the sort of natives of that sort of um, that milieu, if you like. Yep. Um, and yeah, that 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 can get a bit absurd after all. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to sort of have to walk down the street and see my instructor and call him a oh, high professor or high sifu or high sensei or you know whatever something like that. Sort of, well, I got people with me and stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that's yeah. I I I I. Yeah, I've never asked anyone to call me by a title and sort of if someone does, I sort of look behind me to see who they're talking to sort of thing. How long um, How long have you been training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for now? I started in 98. It's about, must be 23 years now. Wow. And when did you receive your black belt? Uh, 2013. Right on. Right at, right at the end of 2013. Um, yep. So what was that? We're looking like nine, nine years ago, so sort of mid, mid to late 50s for you? Um, Is that right? 2013, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, the, it was like a couple of days before my 59th birthday. Wow. What's um? I got a lot of questions around uh, around that because there's obviously a huge amount to sort of unpack in terms of training jiu-jitsu, a, a, very, a very full contact sport. Yep. Um, but one of the main ones that I wanted to ask was how for someone at your age who trains jiu-jitsu and you still train, tell me how many days a week you train currently or, you know, well, without lockdown. Zero at the moment. <laughs> but um, usually it works out about, you know, four days a week. And, they're, yeah, they're short classes but good classes sort of thing. So how do you handle the um, something that we come up against a lot? And I, I was this person for a long time, and now I have, and now I'm part of the, the of a gym here, and I and I see it play out. But you have young, fit, very energetic, you know, sometimes testosterone filled, sometimes less so individuals, mm. and then you have people who are maybe not looking for that kind of intensity, or people who are newer to it, or smaller, or older. How do you manage that in terms of your training in a sustainable way uh, when you're coming to a class full of individu- different individuals? Okay, that's that's a that's an excellent question. Um, when you know, I, I started in my sort of mid forties, and yeah, you know, I was one of the most committed and probably best students at. Rick's gym while I was training there. Um, but, you know, he was running a full-time martial arts school, which was still mostly, you know, Wing Chun and striking at that time. Um, I was sort of like coming in one morning a week at 7 o'clock and training with a couple of people and doing three classes a week with him, um, two of which were on the one day sort of thing. <laughs> Excuse me, and I found I still wasn't really getting getting enough good training at the level that I sort of wanted. You know, there weren't enough classes during the week, and um, that sort of thing. So I, you know, said to Rick, "Look, I want to take this a bit further," and um, I went to SPMA with Elvis Sinisic and Anthony Parosh. 
And um, I spent most of my time being taught by Anthony Parosh, and I thought he was a very good instructor. Um, Elvis, not so much, but I think they sort of taught on different nights at that stage. And, um, yeah, I just didn't go when Elvis was teaching sort of thing. Um, That was really, you know, that was a really tough school at the time. A lot of young guys, really intense. Both Elvis and Anthony were sort of single at the time. And they were still pretty young themselves, so it was all, you know, bang, bang, bang. Um, you know, half an hour full-on conditioning before class. Um, you know, sparring as hard as you could spar uh, right on the red line. Um, yeah, the, I, I listened to John and, you know, his offsider, Oscar, talk about their time there and they said it was pretty much the same, you know, very tough, high attrition rate, that sort of thing. I stuck it out for a year and, um, you know, it, it got, you know, I'd sort of go home and wonder, well, what the hell am I doing this for sort of thing. But um, they changed their classes around so that I really couldn't attend anymore. You know, it, it's sort of, um, they, they got, um, I think they got Anthony's um, Anthony's sort of partner at the time to teach yoga at the time I was doing jiu-jitsu and, you know, their class was on at 8 o'clock at night and I was still trying to attend Rick's classes. So, you know, I, I just couldn't do it there anymore and I had to look for somewhere else. And um, so I'd met Anthony Lange a few times and he was a lot further away, but I thought, well, I'll give him a try. And um, that just worked out really well for me. It was still really good instruction, but sort of there wasn't that, um, you know, super aggro, super macho sort of vibe there. Um, Anthony's a little bit older and, you know, he's got kids and, um, you know, a lot of, lot of families um, go there. And it was just a sort of different vibe and... Um, I found it suited me a lot better. Um, And I've sort of been there ever since. Um, Just with, uh, you know, what I do to look after myself, I'm sort of pretty selective about where I go and train. Um, You know, going to an unfamiliar gym with people I don't know, um, I be pretty tentative about that. Um, what I've found lately has worked really well for me is um, sort of a, a system of defence um, developed by a guy called Pritt Mickelson, which, um, you know, you can let people pass your guard or take you back, um, that sort of thing. But... Can they finish shoes from there? It's very difficult <laughs> because of because of the way he set it up, um, and that's I, I think that's probably given me another five to ten years of jujitsu. You know, it's sort of it's not quite, but it's almost like kryptonite. <laughs> I can I can thoroughly recommend it. It's really good. Did. 
did that change? Like, was there a period where you were, you know, as you described it, SPMA, where it was, um, you know, of an intensity where people are really going for it, and then to to shift to something like you just said that's more of a defensive based system in your training? Did that? Did that? Was there a, a, any friction on the ego there, or did that? Or was that a concern for you? Well, not really, and really, it, there's a there's a lot more sort of went on in between there but um i've what i have found is that um yeah i I wondered how i'd be sort of taken at the gym because of my age but really um most people are incredibly respectful and considerate um not everybody but most people yeah i i I'll still run into, you know, hungry blue belts that want to submit a black belt and that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, that's that's life. Um, yeah, don't, I don't begrudge anybody that. If I was that age, I'd be doing the same thing. But, you know, I've, I've had quite a good run because people have been pretty kind to me. Um. I wanted to ask you, because um, I read about uh, the altercation you had um, while driving. Was, yep. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us, like, what kind of happened there. And um, Well, I, just, I was reminded because you were talking about this kind of uh, defensive system in BJJ that I wondered if yeah. there was a link there to how you, how you defended yourself from what sounded like a, an aggressive, younger, bigger guy and you managed to warn him off, right? I, I managed to defend myself without getting seriously hurt. Um, it's it's not really the same thing because it was more sort of a striking situation. Mm. Um, defensive system I'm talking about is very much for jiu-jitsu. Um, don't have, you know, people have used similar stuff effectively in MMA. Um, but... Yeah, basically, um, there's a lot of construction going on around the uh, Northern Beaches Hospital at the time, and I was driving through there, and they kept changing the way the lanes went on this particular road all the time. And it's sort of been set up so that instead of three lanes going straight ahead, they sort of went in an S sort of thing, like mm. what you, you'd sort of have to cross from the outside lane into the middle lane, and the middle lane would go into the inner lane. And I was sort of going through there and, you know, I took what was the right path or at least I thought it was and the cops agreed with me. Uh, And, you know, this other guy ran into me sort of thing, Mm. right? Um, And, you know, I thought, you know, he sort of stopped in front of me at the lights and I thought, oh, okay. Um, Cow, it wasn't much damage. And I thought, well, okay, I'll get out of the car and, you know, we'll have a chat and exchange details and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, he sort of got out of his car and, you know, it was, it became obvious very quickly that uh, he didn't have the same sort of idea in mind. And, um, you know, a car you stop, um, I think I turned, I can't remember all the details here, but the, the doors open automatically, so he ripped it open and 
just sort of sort of started punching me, and I just sort of you know usual defence one I one turn to face him, put your hands up, protect your head, um, and yeah, he threw a lot of punches. Um, uh, yeah, probably a quarter of them connected. You know, I think you see it on video. There's he threw about thirty punches in two goes. Uh, probably about eight of them connected, and only a few of them really got through. It was sort of like I was I was sort of sitting there and like my hands like this with my leg up and like an open guard sort of thing. And um, yeah, I'm even thinking at the time, well, no, nah, that one wasn't very good. No, nah, got that one. Oh, that one hurt a bit. I'll give that an eight out of ten. <laughs> yeah, it was it was sort of almost like that. Yeah. Um, were you were you in the in the driver's seat while this is happening? Yeah, I mean, I I I sort of didn't really have time to get out of the car. It was you know, on you. Yeah, you talk about you know, there's a there's a ritual you go through in a fight. Well, not in this case. It it all happened in like you know, second and a half sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But you know, they. I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, you know, he had one go at me and went back at his car and then for some reason my car jumped into gear or something and lurched forward and ran into the back of his car. And he wasn't really impressed with that. And so he came back and sort of had a second go. And I'm, you know, I, I literally was thinking, this, oh, here we go again. <laughs> you know, just sort of like that. Um, and eventually he got in his car and drove away. Um, yeah, lots of witnesses. Uh, there's a truck driver behind me with a dash cam, so it all got caught on dash cam. Wow. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I was, you know, I had a few cuts and I was bleeding from my mouth a little, uh, but I was basically okay. And, you know, I sort of truck driver got out of his truck and came towards me and I sort of, you know, made some, cracked some, joke to him like you know well that was a lot of fun wasn't it sort of thing uh, just to let him sort of know I was okay and myself um, you know quite a few people helped me mostly sort of tradies and truck drivers uh, helped me get the car off the road uh, that sort of stuff uh, they called it the cops um, cops were really good they were, they were fantastic um I, they kept asking me, you know, do you want to go to hospital? Do you want to go to hospital? And I sort of said, well, yeah, I can't drive home, so I might as well go to hospital. And um, the AMBOs, you know, the paramedics um, measured my blood pressure. It's normally about 118 over 70, I think, and I, it was up to about 140. Um you know, I was interested in the effects on my physiology of an assault. Um, I will say it's nothing like having a sparring match or anything like that. You feel a certain level of anxiety, but when you're actually being attacked for real, you know, it's at a, it's a, at a whole other level. You know, and it took, um, took quite a long time for my blood pressure to go back down again. All I needed really was one stitch on the inside of my mouth and, and I was okay. But, you know, it sort of worked out well because um, 
yeah, I didn't have to get a taxi. I didn't have to call my wife to come and pick me up. Um, well, she did have to come to the hospital and pick me up. She was, you know, a bit shaken up by it, probably more than me. Um, but, yeah, that sort of turned into a whole sort of media extravaganza and everything else. Um, yeah, he went to jail for 18 months, um, mainly due to the dash cam footage. Mm. And, you know, you don't get 18 months jail for just sort of slapping someone over the face. So, yeah, it's pretty full on. Um, just goes to show that if you are ever in a defence situation, you want to consider the fact that whatever actions you take might be recorded. This day and age, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cameras, like, everywhere. What a maniac, though. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that happened after that with the media and the TV shows on and that sort of thing. But basically, um, yeah, he was in a very bad motorcycle accident a few weeks after this happened. Yeah, he was in hospital and busted up fairly badly. He got better from that and apparently he sort of, you know, beat someone up in Dewey and stole their phone and, you know, cops got him again. <laughs> and he's, I, I imagine he's back in jail now. So, you know, he's chosen a career for himself. Good luck with that. Mate, what's – um with your – you have an active lifestyle, fair to say? Um, yeah, yeah. You said you uh, read in your blog you still like to you like to go train the mid morning class and then get off to the beach for a body surf afterwards. That's something you yeah. still when when gyms are open. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, and and year round as well. I mean, you know, my Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, you know, is a training session at Laney's at North Manly, and then uh, me and yeah, one or two other people usually go to North Kirkall, have a swim. Um, you know, sort of sit around talking in the sun. Afterwards, you, um, you know, take a flask of coffee with you. It's, you know, I sort of, you know, I can't think of a better way to spend that time than doing those things. You know, it's just, just great. Do you, obviously, there's an element of discipline involved and, and effort when you're living an active lifestyle and you're choosing to make healthy choices. And, and, and of course there's, there's, there's a great element of enjoyment too, Mm -hmm. but for yourself, is there, is there, what is it that drives you? Is it, is it purely the enjoyment or do you have, do you have great discipline or what is it that, that makes you sort of maintain this? Uh, I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's a strong interest in jiu-jitsu and martial arts that keeps me going. Um, my main reason for training at the moment is to be able to keep training um, as long as I can. Um, I don't regard myself as particularly disciplined, though I probably am. But, yeah, it's uh, it's... It's not something I have to think about. Um, with diet, that sort of stuff, I've tried to do various diets like the one I did with Rex King. 
and they usually don't work out for various reasons. Either, you know, I get sick in the middle of it or um, I can't get some ingredient that's fundamental to it or something. And I'm always going back to just, you know, fairly basic good food. I'm pretty lucky that my wife, um, you know, cooks and makes very healthy meals. And I think I think that's got a lot to do with, you know, the fact that um, – I'm pretty trim, um, low body fat, and that um, I'm healthy. I think you posted a photo on the uh, the Facebook forum recently uh, with your six pack. Did you not? Yeah, I I did. A moment of vanity. <laughs> yeah, it was a beauty. It was it was I can't remember, but it was a it was a young bloke who was like talking about I'm gonna get in shape and I'm putting it up here to make myself. This is a group with I don't know how many thousands of people in it. And then yeah. you're like, yeah, mate, 66 years of age. Bam. Here's, yeah, here's the photo. You can do it. Like I did it. You can do it. Was it have I got that right? Yeah, that, that's about right. I, I think I was, was – yeah, that, actually, I took one recently. Yeah, that was like that. Um, I'm doing okay, uh, obviously. I, I don't know how much of that is, um, yeah, discipline and, you know, concentration and a healthy lifestyle and how much of it's just – genetics and luck to be honest it's never felt like I've made myself go without stuff or you know force myself to do things I don't really want to do or anything like that I think I just have I've developed healthy interests and pursued them it's a very humble way to put it I was yeah um, I I can't hold myself up as a paragon of discipline because I'm not basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like to have a good time. I like to sit around reading. Um, yeah, I like I don't I think I uh, yeah, I, I don't I'm not a heavy drinker or anything, but you know, I like a, the occasional drink. Um, I don't deny myself things, so yeah. I think, I think a lot of it is luck, to be honest. Good genetics. My dad's 90 and he's still going pretty well. So, mm. Actually, he's 91, sorry. Wow. He's still going pretty well. Do you have, in terms of your training and maintaining, uh, you know, keeping in shape, and obviously to be able to train jiu-jitsu three, four days a week, like that, that there, there needs to be some kind of physical maintenance going on. Do you have some regular practices or habits that you use to keep in shape? I do um, Steve Maxwell's mobility drills every day when I get up. That's, yeah, they're not difficult. They're just sort of, yeah, joint rotations, yep. that sort of thing. You know, every joint in your body, just circle through it. Um, I do do a little bit of running it sort of tends to hurt my back and joints a bit but I do it because you know I I think it's important that if I need to be able to run then I'm able to do it sort of thing um, I go on a lot of long walks um, I go to Pennant Hills Park right and um, I do calisthenics I still do kung fu forms because I've always sort of liked that and it's a sort of, you know, sort of a quasi-meditative practice, I suppose. I like sort of, you know, 
being alone doing something in the 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 open air sort of thing. Um, That's cool. I don't do a lot more than that these days. I do make sure that you know I do a few sets of chin ups and stuff on various bars that I encounter on my walks. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. I mean, maintaining it, maintaining a chin up. I mean that is, you know even that in itself is pretty pretty fantastic. Yeah, it depends on who you ask, I suppose. And it does. I was I was at the outdoor gym today. Paul and I are at the outdoor gym quite a lot these days because you know as as personal yeah. trainers, that's that's where we can play our trade right now. Yes. And um, you know, and I, I guess being interested in this kind of thing, I'm always looking at what's going on there, and we talk a lot about how we're often not particularly impressed about what happens down there. Um, <laughs> but still, I maintain that the, the the highest quality training that I see is from the, the the few older folk that get down there. There's an old Chinese guy down there who I actually spoke to today for the first time and he told me he doesn't, he said, I don't speak English. Oh. <laughs> um, but but then there's, a, there's another fellow I was chatting to who was 67 and he was doing some chin-ups. And he's the only guy that's gone from the very bottom to the very top, slow, controlled. And I'm like, this is, you know, that's a level of quality you don't, you don't often see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the last seminar I did with Steve Maxwell, I mean, I don't think he's doing all this traveling these days like he used to. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but he was he was taking us through isometrics. And, um, you know, in his view, you can get very strong that way with almost, you know, minimal amount of trauma to any part of your body. Um I I try to do full range push ups, uh, not push ups, chin ups. Um, yeah, just always have. If you don't, if it, you don't start from a dead hang, it's not a chin up. Good man. Would you have? Um, I guess in 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 wrapping this up, because we have to let you go back to your your day at some point. Do you have any sort of closing thoughts or pieces of advice that you would give to younger counterparts? who are following the martial arts or the physical journey? Um, well, yeah. Uh, firstly, I'd say, you know, treat it as a, try to treat it as a lifetime pursuit if you can. Um, look at, If you look after yourself, you can do this for a long, long time. And you're probably going to want to do it for a long, long time. So you need to look after yourself. You know, it's like a, you know, virtuous circle, if you like. Um, Don't feel you have to accomplish it all in the beginning because you don't. Um, Yeah, becoming, being a martial artist isn't necessarily about, um, you know, getting your black belt, winning a lot of competitions, um, opening your own school, running it full time. Um, there are many ways to sort of, you know, to develop a sustainable life in martial arts or I guess other sorts of fitness as well. Um, get very good at survival, defense, guard retention. Um that would be my advice because you're going to find jiu-jitsu a lot more pleasurable. Um, 
you know, it's it's fine to become obsessed, at least mentally obsessed, um, and go down some interesting rabbit holes. Um, I'll give a plug to my um, friend and training partner, Sonny Brown here, and his podcast, um, the defensive system I'm talking about, I actually found out from his podcast because he interviewed Pritt Mickelson. Now I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, hey, this, this sounds really, really good. I think I ought to do this. And um, I got heavily into it and it just made my life, so my jiu-jitsu life so much more pleasurable and I could see more possibilities. You know, it, it doesn't end. Um, people think that, uh, you know, after 40, your life stops, but it doesn't. I've, I, I've enjoyed life and my training more and more as I've got older. Obviously, that's not going to go on forever, but it's still happening now. So, you know, don't sort of, don't sort of go so hard at it that you wreck yourself, basically. Because you do have time, might not be, you know, the standard, you know, Gordon Ryan sort of path, um, but you can have a very satisfying life in martial arts, very enjoyable life, lots of good friends. Um, you don't have to follow the, um, you know, the path you see on the on social media. There's lots of ways to do it. Um, the only health tip I'd advise is when you get over 45, make sure you see a doctor at least once a year. Have have all the tests, all the blood work. You know, what's, what's more likely to take you out isn't, um, isn't just getting old. It's something like, you know, heart disease or cancer. You know, I've... I've um, not many, but I have lost a few friends from just and work colleagues just from, you know, sudden heart attacks out of the blue, that sort of thing. Um, you know, bowel cancer in particular, you know, that's, that would be a horrible way to die. Um, what else? Uh, you know, life's out there. Enjoy it. That's all I can say. Yeah, getting old doesn't isn't isn't an end to anything. You know, it's it's like the classic saying goes: "Don't regret growing old." It's a privilege denied to many. Hmm. I like that. What about um, your blog? Where can people uh, read more of your? I I really enjoyed reading that. Where can they find it? It's called Exponential Jiu Jitsu. All in one word and jujitsu with an I, J I U Jitsu. Um, it was it was mainly for me to record seminars, um, and I've got a lot of them up there. You'll see a lot of John Will seminars there. I try to sort of put related videos from YouTube and stuff in there, so that it's just not just me writing out what a technique is and people can see it. Um, yeah, I haven't been to a seminar since, well, 2020, you know, nobody went to any seminars. 
And I went to one seminar with the guy I mentioned before, Sonny Brown. Uh, his podcast is the Sonny Brown Breakdown. Um, he gets some really interesting and unusual guests on there. I, I can recommend that one. Um, yes, yeah, exponential like, jujitsu. I like his Instagram. I follow his stuff there. He's got some cool, cool yeah. breakdowns, and yeah, he's a thoughtful guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd I'd say with media, you know, we talked a little about you know in the old days you just had magazines. Um, you can't get, you couldn't get in those days like. Uh, one thousandth of the amount of information you can get these days, and um, yeah, it it is so much different that if you never live through it, you don't sort of appreciate. You probably don't appreciate it the same way. Now, even even when I started jujitsu, you know, it was VHS tapes. VHS tapes were going out, and DVDs were coming in, sort of thing. Um, yeah, these days with streaming, you know, I thought, oh, good, I don't have to have this cupboard full of VHS tapes anymore. I can have like a drawer full of DVDs. <laughs> now, what do I need these DVDs for? I can, yeah, I can stream John Danaher. I can stream Lachlan Giles. You know, I can stream all these people. And, yeah, that's the stuff you pay for is um, opposed to what you can get for free. Uh, you know, Lachlan's got some great instructionals, but, you know, his, his free stuff on YouTube's almost as good. I've, I've, you know, ideas for taking classes, I've stole a ridiculous amount of stuff from him. I think, so, every, I think yeah. every coach has. Yeah. Um, you know, think yourself lucky these days because way back when – None of that existed. Mate, um, thank you for, for joining us today and, and sharing your story and your thoughts on it all. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I, I, yeah, I have done podcasts before and it went for three hours. So, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about and it's, it's hard to fit into a reasonable time frame. So, I hope that um, you know, I, I got some I gave you some good ideas and um, I at least gave you the gist of my story. You most definitely did and I, I think uh, the, 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 the biggest thing that I take away from that is just really some inspiration and some energy to sort of to stay the path and to keep being a student and apply you know applying myself. I think that's what anyone who listens to it's going to take from it. Uh, because the things that, that for you were kind of the norm and not particularly extraordinary, I think for for people who are listening would be uh, would find it to be quite extraordinary. Okay, well that's that's very kind. Um, I don't know. I just I am what I am. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Thank you for being you. Okay, <laughs> shucks. Yeah, uh, just just before we do go, you know, I have I have been listening to your podcasts as well. Um, you know, I, f- I found the ones about the one about training in the park while you can't train in the gym very useful. Um, I 
I've been trying to work on my flexibility recently after listening to Emmett Lewis. Ah, nice. Um, I have to say I found a lot of it extremely painful, <laughs> but sort of good, good pain. Listening to the podcast or doing the mobility? No, no, doing the mobility. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that – oh, jeez, I've – I found found places to get sore I'd never never found before, sort of thing. Uh, and um, yeah, there, there's been quite a few, but uh, I found Alan Chandler interesting as well. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah right with the hunting and, and I got a lot more to go, so I'll be I'll be listening some more. Uh, thank thank you for supporting the show. Okay, wow, it's a it's a good show. Why wouldn't I? Well, mate, I hope um I hope that we can get back to training at some point in the next couple of months. And I, I hope that you and I can share them out together at some point in the near future. And then perhaps we could get you back on the show down the track, catch up on where things are at. Uh, always happy, mate. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'll be nice to get out and out and about and see people in the flesh again. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Andrew, thank you. Okay. As I say, it's been a great pleasure. Um, Great to see you guys. Great to see somebody else outside the house. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, mate, you too. Stay uh, stay well. Nice to meet you. You too, Paulie. Take it easy. Ciao.